0: BLOB TALK RADIO Hello, this is Leslie Gist and you're listening to The Gist of Freedom. Um, I'm your host tonight, Leslie Gist, and we have a great, great guest, Mr. or Dr. William Hayashi. Back, are you on the line?
1: yes i am can you hear me okay
0: yes you sound excellent you're coming uh, across really loud and clear how about me can you hear me
1: yes you sound great and i want to apologize in advance i'm getting over a cold so every now and then who knows maybe a sneeze maybe a cough but uh all i'm on the mend i just uh just wanted to give you a heads up
0: well thank you thank you i don't know what part of the country you're located in but here in the new york area we're experiencing
1: winter again. Yeah, last Monday it was 86 here in Chicago. And then on Tuesday it was 46. And it's been like messing around in the 40s and 50s. We haven't really had spring, although I shouldn't complain. We only get spring for about 45 minutes here in Chicago. Um okay. So
0: I'm,
1: I'm, I'm waiting for it to come and go, you know. Right.
0: Right, and that, that explains all these different codes and elements everyone's you know around the country. So let's talk about Chicago because you're a professor in Chicago. Let's run down who you are and why I think you're so special. Let's start with all right. what well, you do I, in Chicago.
1: I haven't taught in a while. Um, mm-hmm. so it's been a while, but one of the, you know, what I am mostly is um uh, I, I make my money as an IT consultant. I've had my own firm since the early 80s. I started in, uh, in the computer trade in 1970, so that was a pretty long time ago. And um, I, I do a lot of philanthropy here. I take care of some schools. I build computer centers and things like that. But I'm also a writer, and um, you know, I write short stories and novels. And I'm a screenwriter. Fortunate enough that the very first script that I wrote won an international award. I don't want to sound like I'm bragging or anything because if I were to tell everybody about that night, I did have a nervous breakdown that night because I was the only one who could write anything, and I had never written a script. So it was a very messy, drooly affair. Um, wow. and, what I'm in, and what I'm involved in now is um, with uh, uh, kind of a, a small partnership, I am helping to design and build a computer and 3D printer manufacturing plant here in Chicago, which is going to employ probably about 350 people with good tech jobs. These are jobs that you can get a mortgage for. This is not that, you know, slowly go broke uh, Walmart kind of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, we're we're looking at a workforce to start up with, like I said, 350 people, hopefully going up to about 500 people. And what we're doing is we're bringing pocket manufacturing back to the United States of America. Now, you know, just so that everybody knows, our computers are going to have the same specs as Dell and HP and, you know, the other mainline computer retailers. And we won't be making the same profit margin, obviously, because we aren't going to have people from overseas building them and then shipping them over here. But what what our aim is is to provide jobs not necessarily make a profit, a huge profit on, on computers. You know, a friend of mine said, well, well what, if, uh, what if Dell or HP wants to buy you out? Well, first of all, we're not going to be a publicly held company, so that's going to be tough for them to do. But second of all, what we're doing is we're creating or recreating a jobs economy. Um, in the period of time between, what was it, 2000 and 2009, America lost 46,000 manufacturing companies. Think about that. In eight years, 46,000 manufacturing companies. Now, you know, to make things look nice, they, they say, oh, well, we only lost 2 million jobs, you know, because of that. But that's still 2 million jobs, and we know it was a hell of a lot more than that. That would be like had uh, President Obama let the automobile companies go broke instead of providing a bailout for which the government made money off of. But when, you know, when you talk about letting an industry go, it's not just that industry. It's the service people for that industry. It's the people who provide parts for that industry, um, you know, shipping, receiving all of those things. So, so they, there's a kind of a, a disconnect between the actual number of people who lose their jobs because of something like that happening and, and what's reported. So, so, Mm-hmm. When you consider how many jobs left the United States of America because of, um, I would say, very, very corporate-friendly tax policies, um, mm-hmm. th- this country, it, you know, we couldn't help but lose those jobs. When, when, you mm-hmm. are, when you make more money, when you have a better tax benefit sending jobs mm-hmm. overseas rather than retaining them in the United States, Always a race to the bottom with with companies because they have to manufacture um, value for the stockholders. Um, so what we're doing is we're bringing pocket manufacturing back. We're going to try to uh, we're going to do this first in Chicago, and then there are other cities who are interested in us bringing the same business model to their to their um, their communities. Um, we're locating. The, I think we're going to do two plants here in Chicago, kind of split our manufacturing. And we're, we're currently locating uh, the first plant kind of on the south side of Chicago. And the other one will be in one of the suburbs. Um, and that's uh, that's what I'm involved in right now. That's the big thing. I also right. and that's do what some work at, Go ahead. Go oh, ahead. Well,
0: can you no, just no. give out your contact information before you move on to what else you're doing? Because I know everyone is well,
1: as excited as I, as I am. I uh, I cannot I can't do that yet because um, we're okay. we're right in the pro in, in progress. I'll tell you why. We're mm-hmm. registering our company and I've pre-built a website, but we have not ex- you know uh, 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 it. publicized it, publicized the domain yet. But okay. I will say this that. Um, mm-hmm. The state of Illinois wants sixty minutes to follow me around for a year. I'm not happy about that. I don't need those people mm-hmm. you know <laughs> seeing what I do on a daily basis but right. but the project will be exciting. I'm sure people will see it and you know what what I could do? I could probably provide you with links later as soon as everything goes live that way people can check okay. with you know on your site um, mm-hmm. your page and see what what we're doing and then Furthermore, have the contact information for the partnership. How's that sound?
0: Perfect. So she at least gave us the spelling of your name, because I know I did not pronounce it correctly.
1: No, you did. You pronounced it exactly right. Um, um, my name is William, and then my last name is H a y you a s h i. Now, I'm uh, just so that people know, I'm I'm biracial. It's Hayashi, and I'm half black, half Japanese. And I did that uh, that biracial thing way, way, way before Barack Obama and Tiger Woods and all of these other biracial come lately. Um, So, (laughs) go ahead. Okay.
0: Okay, now, I interrupted you now. You said you were doing something else uh, other than the manufacturing process. What else are you doing?
1: Well, as of last weekend, um, I've decided to get together with a few other people, some other people, and we're going to do community redevelopment. Um, Here in Chicago, the mayor closed 50 schools that he said were underperforming, et cetera, et cetera, to try to save money. But all of those schools were in the worst neighborhoods in Chicago, probably not a coincidence. And, um, you know, th- this will circle back around to the the education thing that you want to talk about a little, you know, in, in depth. Communities were not happy with the closing of those schools. And, you know, even though someone would say that they are underperforming, now, their kids have to travel to go to school sometimes through hostile territory because of uh gang well let 's just say gang related violence and you know just uh you know territorial nature of gangs themselves you know when you have to go through a different neighborhood to get to your school sometimes that that complicates things in a very very negative way. But what I want to do is I want to take a few of these schools and turn them into um live-work space, um, some really innovative live-work space. uh, And even some of these schools might end up being um, housing seniors because the cool thing about schools is not only do they have about an acre of land around them, and they usually have parking because, you know, they want to provide staff parking, off-street parking, but in the basements of these schools are a bunch of, you know, you might have a gymnasium, you might have a lunchroom, all of these areas can be turned into amenities for the people who live mm. there. And one of, the, one of the things that I don't want to do is I don't want to turn these into condos where someone's going to try to you know, make a big score and uh, you know, financially benefit from whomever moves in. I'm looking at uh, turning these things into co-ops. So people buy their share, their co-op share, they, they get their unit. And by and large, these are much, much more affordable than, let's say, a neighborhood that all of a sudden gets hot. I did community outreach. I was a board chair for an organization called Cabrini-Green Youth and Family Services back near the turn of the century, and that was the Cabrini-Green housing program, kind of made famous by the TV show Good Times because they were supposed to be in Cabrini-Green. And I was board chair for a social service agency that mostly did foster care, But the funny thing about that area is between 2000 and now, um, I think every single one of the original housing project buildings, except for maybe some row houses, they're all gone because that was some of the most valuable real estate in the city of Chicago. It was near north. It wasn't that far from the lake. It was between the major expressway, the Kennedy Expressway, and the lakefront. And it, quite literally, that was some of the most expensive land in the whole city. So, of course, developers did what they could to get, get that land. And then you have to, you know, based upon, um, I, I built a computer learning center in the basement of a church there. And every day school is open, that learning center is open so kids can come and do their homework, um, get help with, uh, with classwork. And uh, some of the people actually even keep track of what the kids do in school. So you can tell Mm -hmm. by the number of kids who come to the after-school program how many of the locals who have been there for years, maybe even generations, you know, good or bad, you know, you can make your judgment about being in in public housing for generations, but Mm -hmm. a lot of those kids are gone. So you have to know that there were, you know, when they went and they put up all of these nice new housing developments and uh, big apartment buildings and things like that, Those units did not go back to any of the residents, um, either as affordable housing or Section 8 or what have you. So, um, mm -hmm. go ahead. Go ahead. And
0: and that that was going to lead us to um, the title of our show, which is about the, and you taught me this in our private conversation the war on intelligentsia. And what you're doing is you're combating this war. And could you go back to Nixon? What you said
1: to me in private was just amazing. Sure. Here's okay. what a lot of people don't realize. We all know that our kids are not doing as well, okay? And there's a number of reasons for it. And most of the people blame collateral things. They blame the actual um, – they blame the symptoms, not the cause. And, and really the cause dates back to Richard Nixon in 1972 when he declared war on in the intelligentsia and that was pretty universal, he wasn't looking at blacks, he wasn't looking at whites, he was looking at educated people because the anti war movement was born of college and high school campuses because those those, you know, young adults and teenagers had the most buy in and the most to lose, you know, having to go to Vietnam. And so it, it it's it's really easy to kind of look at where the government was in 1972 and then, and then move forward to our current times um, because the government really gave up on educating our kids. Now, if you look at the previous decade, everything was science, math, getting to the moon. You know, um, John F. Kennedy had, had a huge impact on exactly, you know, the, the, raising the level of education in this country, which was actually followed up by his brother, Teddy Kennedy, who wrote um, with uh, a leading Republican. No Child Left
0: Behind.
1: No Child Left Behind. eh? Behind. Now, you know, a lot of people think that uh, Teddy Kennedy, and they they wrote a bad piece of uh, legislation, but what people don't realize is No Child Left Behind was supposed to be a funded mandate. Instead, what happened was, you know, Teddy Kennedy died, and conservatives, Republicans, realized that they could use this mandate to, to kind of basically engage in a, a pattern of zero tolerance for schools. So underperforming schools that did not meet the No Child Left Behind mandates, the scores and things like that, they could just take funding away completely, like a zero tolerance thing. Um, but let's, let's get back to Nixon a little bit, because if you – anybody who went to school during that time probably noticed that there was a declining interest in teaching social studies and teaching civics and any kind of subject that taught kids how to, to believe that this was deliberate. And I'm not the only person who says this. I don't want anybody to think that I'm some kind of conspiracy nut, but I can tell you this. I took the ACT and the SAT in 1972 coincidentally and between 1972 and 2008. 2008 was when I gave up looking at this stuff because it was, it was an election year and there were other things going on. Um, but in, in that amount of time, from 72 to 2008, the scoring indexes for both the SAT and the ACT had been revised downward at least 16 times. Okay, so people in 2008, students in 2008, who got the same scores that I got in 1972 were not nearly as smart, informed or as proficient educationally as we were back then. Um, and, and that's because kids are not being taught anymore. Okay, there's a myriad of reasons. There's a whole lot of reasons to have to do with this. but I think the biggest um, person households, if they have two or more kids, both of the parents have to work in order to keep up the household and it makes it a lot more difficult for parents to to help their kids with their education or even keep an eye on it the way my generation was um sometimes i dreaded eating dinner because mom and dad chose that time to uh, pull out their did you do your homework i heard you did this in class you know it was it was the it was kind of like the, the dinner of doom time for me. But things are a lot more different now. You know, it's very hard for parents to keep up with their, their kids. Um, some schools are making the effort by allowing parents to look online at their school, their uh, kids' grades and things like that. But it is a very, very different America than what I grew up in, because, you know, just in terms of education. So if you're tired, you do your job all day, what if you're in a one-parent household and you've got two kids, and, you know, somehow you're supposed to be able to come home and, and be able to help your kids substantively get better grades in school? And sometimes that's just not easy. So,
0: okay.
1: since, since, you know, in all of this time, oh, well, go ahead, you go, I'm sorry, I, should, I don't want to keep I just, talking. I was
0: just going to ask you about SNCC could you explain what SNCC is to our younger listeners? And, you know, because most times, you know, we hear from that generation that there was a house Negro and a field Negro, and that the house Negro (laughs) never looked out for the field Negro. But when you learn about SNCC and this movement you're talking about, then you can understand why Nixon,
1: uh, you know, um, had this war. That's true. Nixon did start, yeah, Nixon started also the Southern strategy, which was when when he turned, you know, turned um, Democrats in a Dixie, and and we had this whole, it's a really sordid tale of how the country was divided, and and how education, jobs, and, and all kinds of things that, that are attached to the American dream have been systematically de- de- uh, denied people of color and specifically mm-hmm. black folks um, because they're, they're the most visible group. And, you know, they've been victimized all along. Um, and the other thing is when you tie funding to schools to property taxes, when you have an mm-hmm. underperforming neighborhood in terms of property taxes, then, you know, municipalities have now fixed it so that if a neighborhood is not pulling in a a lot of taxes, that neighborhood gets a disproportionately smaller amount of money for their education, for the schools. Mm -hmm. And so that's tough too. So, I mean, at every turn you see how disadvantaged communities, black communities are short shrifted, you know, in terms of funding. Here in Chicago, let me tell you something stupid that happened here, um, and, and, and this is no secret, how, and, but our mayor here suggested that in order to help stem the, uh, the brain drain from our kids, that they should spend an extra two hours in school in order to make up for their educational deficits, which uh-huh. to me doesn't make any sense because in 1972 I was getting out of Grammar school at 3:15. I was getting out of high school at 2:46, and and we were all scoring higher. We learned more. We we excelled our test scores, you know, which is the, the most visible. Um, uh, of, Way of looking at at how how kids are performing, were much much higher. So his his logic is, well, let's just stick these kids in a bad situation in an underperforming educational environment for two additional hours, and that should take care of everything. And and when you look at it like that, it's patently ridiculous. So mm-hmm. um, it, th- there there are so many things that that put education behind the eight ball, and right now. Let's be honest. Today, as we sit here today, higher education is basically priced so high that it's for the money elite, right? And, and okay. in addition to education being priced so high, programs that helped people who were less financially well-off get into college are disappearing. You know, I had BEOG and SEOG grants that helped me get to college. And my parents, you know, I was in a one uh, one uh, job, parent, household. But he had a fairly mm-hmm. good job, but still, I qualified because of, um, you know, some was because of race and, and what have you. But those, you know, a lot of that is not, that are not available. What do we hear the most of these days? Pell Grants. Well, what are the first things that Republicans want to cut when they want to dig into the budget so that they could give, uh, have more giveaways for their, you know, their money people? They, they start going after educational money. Here in okay. Chicago, the school mm-hmm. I helped, it's an elementary school. They, they lost, because our Republican governor has refused to sign a budget since July, the school that I help out at is missing hundreds of thousands of dollars for school for school um, just in lunch. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. he doesn't yeah. care. Mm-hmm. He doesn't care. This guy is rich. This guy is filthy rich. And now you know, when you when you go ahead and you hire the filthy rich to be your governor, or you hire the filthy rich to be your mayor, you have to realize that that person that you just hired, that you voted in, does not live the same life that you do. So how can you reasonably right. expect them to to understand what your needs are? You know, and then and then you have these, these people. Let me, who well let me I, just I jump in here really quick. Oh, go let, ahead. Okay. Sure, go ahead.
0: Now, when we talk about the, the very rich supporting the poor as far as education, um, back in the 50s and when um, we had an influx of white immigrants going to college, the colleges were free. The CUNYs in New York City were free, free tuition. Cooper Union, uh, which um, uh, was established by an immigrant, who was involved with the uh, Telegraph, he opened up at the Cooper Union uh, College in New York, and he has been free up until maybe three or four years ago. So uh-huh. there was a movement. Could you talk about that shift of why now, when you have minorities in the country, it's becoming, uh, it's becoming of, of being more... Uh, Having than, better access? No, I'm sorry. It's becoming um, the majority of the, the citizens have more pigmentation. Now these services of of supporting the people with more pigmentation, which are now becoming the majority of the citizens, these services are now dwindling. The history about them. Uh, when I found out that the CUNYs used to be free, when right. the majority of the students were white immigrants, European descent, can you talk more about, um, how that is now shifting. In sure, and, so and that's, actually, okay.
1: that's actually part of our American, the tapestry of Americana. Um, mm-hmm. What most people don't know is most housing projects in the major cities were filled with white Europeans
0: right. coming
1: over after World War II. Here, here in Cabrini, Cabrini-Green was almost all white and And here's what happens in america it's It's much much easier for a white immigrant to assimilate into the greater American culture, visibly different you know if they if they learn to speak the language well and sometimes even not so well, they are still better regarded they still have better opportunities than than African Americans who have been here all their lives, who have been here for generations um mm-hmm. what you're talking about is is you know they're to pretend that racism doesn't exist is kind of silly. And, and you have people who are, uh, especially white conservatives, who are crowing that, oh, we're in a post-racial America because we elected a half-black um, um, president. And, and mm-hmm. obviously that's patently not true. Look at the people who are supporting the Republican nominee or the presumed Republican nominee. You know, mm-hmm. Trump has got a lot of support because this country is patently racist. Okay, it is mm-hmm. still racist and and it 's misogynistic and it 's homophobic. you know when did transgender people go into the bathroom become such a problem you know it's it 's white conservative males who who commit most of the sexual crimes the predatory sexual crimes in this country you don 't see them being profiled you know you don 't see you know you don 't see the clergy being profiled and i'm i 'm not, I'm not yes. saying that to, to to bother anybody or upset anybody who may be religious, but let's look at the statistics. Let's just look at, you know, I'm about this close from being a, a, an FBI profiler, and if I was going to look for certain criminal types who do certain things, does not have a good record, okay? Mm-hmm. White conservatives do not have a good record. Look, in, here in town, we just had Dennis Hastert, who used to be Speaker of the House, you know, the third person in line for the presidency, and and he molested you know, boys as a wrestling coach before he became speaker. And and what was so mm-hmm. sick was t- before he got sentenced, uh the judge received some forty odd letters from Republican officials, you know, supporting Dennis is Supporting him. So wow. It, it the, there are so many things wrong that when you go, well, what's wrong with education? Why are my kids so stupid? And I'm not saying that people really say it, but, you know, just to broadly paint with a, a, a big brush. And, and there's, there's a myriad of reasons. But the reason, the basic reason is American culture is tilted. American culture is tilted in a way that does whatever possible to non-whites from competing at the same level as whites. Okay, we have redlining in uh, in real estate areas, so, you know, you can't get a mortgage, you know. So if you can't live here, if we can't fill up this community, where are we going to get the tax money to make the school better? Um, you know, it, it's it, – it, I'm okay. sorry.
0: Let's, let's bring it back to SNCC, right, and how um, these college students made a statement I,
1: I apologize. I'm having a little bit of trouble. I'm having a little okay, bit of trouble okay. hearing you.
0: Okay, no, no go, just Is that better? Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, no. I was so just kind of. Okay. So I'm going to talk about. I'm going to read a little uh, article, a little snippet, and I want to get your reaction. You know, sure. you know Samuel. You know Samuel, you know Samuel L. Jackson, correct?
1: Yes, I do. I even follow him okay. on uh, one of these social media things.
0: Okay, so in 1969, actor Samuel L. Jackson was expelled from an historical black Morehouse, uh, a historical black college, you know, known as Morehouse College, for locking board members in a building for two days in protest of the school's curriculum and its governance. Um, He included in this group, or included in this group who he locked up for two days, was none other than Martin Luther King Jr.'s very own father, Martin Luther King Sr. So he was expelled from Morehouse, Samuel L. Jackson. Now, when we talk about Nixon waging a war on black intelligence, mm-hmm. this, this this one act really solidifies and, you know, it, it encapsulates why Nixon would do something of this magnitude. And explain what what Morehouse College represents and what was going on in the 60s that would make Samuel L. Jackson lock up board members because he wanted to change the curriculum.
1: Right. I was going to say most of the protests in the 60s, even from Morehouse to to even white colleges, were based upon the fact that um, a lot of American history was being whitewashed. And, and in, in two ways. First is, um, well, like te- what Texas is trying to do with textbooks right now. In Texas, uh, they're, they're trying to whitewash slavery out of America's history. And, and when you talk about, I mean, Martin Luther King Jr. Was, was a very, very strong proponent on, on, on education for obvious reasons. I mean, the more you know, the better armed you are. To, to affect the quality of your own life. And and the fact that Samuel L. Jackson found, you know, the curriculum so egregious that he had to protest is not surprising. Um, first of all, remember who writes the textbooks. Most textbooks have to be vetted in Texas because they have the largest, um, these, these textbook companies want to sell as many books as possible. So they'll write their, they'll slant their textbooks so that they get, Probably the most advantageous uh, uh, sales and readings in in these larger southern states where they where they buy the most. Um, mm-hmm. So even even an institution like Morehouse has to get their textbooks from someplace, and and I I don't want to fault them because I don't know their history, at least not in the '60s. Mm-hmm. But it's it's tough to write your own custom curriculum as well, um, and mm-hmm. and then remember. Also, in order to be accredited, you have to have certain aspects of your curriculum fall in line with the accreditation um, uh, entities. So there, wow. there, there's kind of a there's a subtle way of see making ensuring ensuring I guess is the right word ensuring what gets taught and how it gets taught at several different levels. Now, over the, mm-hmm. in the last generation. We have conservatives out there gone after what they called liberal professors at, at a, a bunch of colleges, liberal colleges and even conservative colleges, because they didn't like what these people were teaching. And essentially, mm-hmm. when you look at it, what they're teaching is the truth. They're teaching, um, you know, sociology, psychology, history, that that does not whitewash things to their to, to their satisfaction. You have legions of conservatives right now who do nothing but edit Wikipedia so that things are slanted the way that they, they like. This is something people don't know. Most people don't mm-hmm. know. So when you, when you look at education in this country, first of all, it's such a complex system. You know, there's so many parts that go with it. It's tough to try to figure out where, where do you start in order to try to make some headway, um, I'm pretty fortunate. My kids, teenagers, and, and have gotten through the school system. Um, they don't live here, but but you know their mother made sure that they, they got good schooling. Um, and so, you know, okay, I'm I'm happy about that because they'll be able to compete favorably against students who did not get the benefit of having a good education. Um, Mm-hmm. and And really what is what does the ed, what is an education kind of pre stage for your life? Well, better educated people earn more money in their lifetime. There have been countless studies that prove this you know someone who has a high school uh, diploma it, over their lifetime does not make as much as somebody who has a four year um, college degree or goes on to an extended you know an extended um, Degree program, you know, masters or a mm-hmm. PhD. So, um, cation is such a big deal, but it's so hard to figure out where to attack it. Now, I don't want to say that it's like this universally. There are schools across the country where people are making a concerted effort to to raise their standards and and do it without thing. You know, the notion of Common Core. You have people pissed off because of Common Core because. Oh, you know they're teaching stuff to my kids that you know they that I don't want, and and then they'll give you the reason why, and then you look at them like, do they still make people like you? But that but that's the thing, you know. If, if somebody <laughs> if somebody hears something on if they get a, a stupid little meme on Facebook, all of a sudden that's the gospel according to everybody. So right. so there are, there are a bunch of a bunch of people attacking the problem that we have in education, and. um you know, you you have to you have to take some things into account. If you want to be accredited, if you want to get uh, funding, you know, from the state, you have to be certified. And sometimes, you know, those certifications cover just just so much, but doesn't really address the holistic education of a student, either an uh, an elementary school student or a high school student. And and here's the other thing that's going on. You got all of these conservatives pushing to have what is the catch? The catchphrase now? Charter schools. Charter schools, mm-hmm. which is the biggest damn scam in the world. Here's the deal on charter schools. And go do your research before you say, you know, that, that Japanese Negro is whack in Chicago. But here's the thing about charter schools. First of all, they get to cherry pick their student body. Okay, they take only the people that they want to take. Second of all, your tax dollars are going to a private school. That's just not right because that tax money was supposed to go to the public school. Well, if you've got a, a city like Chicago where they're tossing out charter schools left and right, well, all of the money that the, the uh, State Board of Education gives to the charter schools does not go to public schools in the city. And then here's the nasty little secret. On a national level, students who go to charter schools do not have any better outcomes than students who go to public schools. Okay? Mm-hmm. So, damn, here we are. We're taking taxpayer money and putting it in a private, private entity's pocket.
0: And mm-hmm. for what? And for what? Oh, while maybe you have your kid. Has to wear, go ahead. And at the same time, while they're putting it in the private entity's pocket, they're closing down the public schools. Public schools. So now. Exactly. Right. Also, or they're using. So they, they, right. Yeah. Right, so the or they have is a much closed. smaller budget. And eventually the charter school are going to be closed. And then when you, they're going to close the charter school, no doubt about it. But now when you do close both schools, the children will be back to the 1700s where there won't be any schools where you would have to take a bus to get to the nearest school because you allowed your, your local schools to close that and not be responsible and not allow the government to be responsible. So let me go to the next question. Um, okay. One of the first public schools um, that was opened was opened by Alexander Hamilton, the first uh, secretary of treasury of the, of, in America. Alexander Hamilton, he was a founder of the Manumission Society. He, he along with John Jay, um, so, when we talk about the, the, the first schools in the United States, they were meant to um, help educate African Americans who were just recently many or free. How do we move from these schools from having schools similar to those to where we are now? Can you talk a little bit about Alexander Hamilton and uh, Harriet Tubman, how she is okay. now going to be on a $20 bill and Andrew Jackson is going to be off. So if we could tie those three people in, Andrew Jackson, Alexander Hamilton, and Harriet Tubman.
1: Well, let me, let me tell the joke that's going around just in case people haven't heard it. This is You know, with Harriet Tubman mm-hmm. being, going to be on the front of the $20 bill, and Andrew mm-hmm. Jackson moving to the back. This is the first time that a black woman forced a, a, a white man to go sit in the back. Um, so having mm-hmm. said that, you know, when Alexander Hamilton, you know, when you look at all of the things that he did and the things that he stood for and the things that he advocated, he was uh, he was pretty remarkable. Um, mm-hmm. You know, obviously, he for those who may not be up on your history, he was a founding father. Um, and actually, I think he was one of the close i think he helped i think he was a close aide to george washington and yes, so was. uh, yeah so and and then of course, you know being the first secretary of the treasury, uh, a lot of you know our economic policy that was set back then was at his behest or because of you know what he was uh, what what he did and he wasn 't even born you know, he wasn 't born in America um, I forget. Was he was he born in the West Indies? Was that is that yes, him? Yes, he was.
0: Yes, oh, yes, you know, I should was. just he pull up Wikipedia or something
1: Indies. like that. Yeah. So, <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> uh, but he was also you know, the
0: founder of the Industrial Revolution.
1: Well, he which, he was because what he did was he set mm-hmm. monetary policy for the country that made the Industrial Revolution possible. You know, in terms mm-hmm. of you know, in terms of banking. Um, uh, banking law and things like when when you look on on things that he did you know you know under the, being the secretary of the treasury he he helped uh, form pol- monetary policy on um, the national bank I believe mm-hmm. yeah he he established the U S mint and um, uh, unfortunately he was the guy who started taxing whiskey <laughs> so oh, okay.
0: people didn't
1: like him for that yeah well you know. And, um, and, and, you know, when you look at, they, you know, they don't talk as much about what he did in terms of education. But here's the thing about our founding, founding fathers. The, these were some of the best educated people on the continent at that time. And a lot of people mm-hmm. don't realize how lucky we were to have these, you know, they were, they were obviously the, the moneyed white elite but when they put together the Constitution, they put together a document that has stood the test of time. I mean, their experiment in democracy, in a, in a democratic republic, has, has stood us well up until now. You know, it, it's it'll be interesting to see where things go from here on out. But Alexander Hamilton, I mean, he's first of all, he's very popular because apparently there's it is that's that Broadway show, right? Hamilton?
0: Right.
1: Is that – that's in New York, so isn't that, it? Yes, it is. Yeah, I don't, a, yeah, I don't get out. They're going much. on a
0: tour. Well, they're, 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 yeah. they're forming a tour right now. They're auditioning for a uh, world tour. So you will, you will be hearing about it. Now talk about who is the um Andrew Jackson, and why are blacks celebrating that he's being removed from the $20 bill? Who is he?
1: Well, I, I don't know any – well, no blacks in my neighborhood are upset that um, – that Andrew Jackson is being taken off, um, just anecdotally, mm-hmm. uh, people have, mm-hmm. you know, they've heard about, you know, how, they, you know, he was obviously a slave owner. He was, you know, he, he actually, he was head up. you know, he was elected okay, like he was what? six or, he was elected sixth or seven, his seventh president. Yeah. He was a seventh president and he was unabashedly, um, racist uh, uh yeah, he was he was very racist, and I think it, if it was his family farm, i mean he had he owned slaves, he owned hundreds of slaves, and uh I'm telling you this is we we put these people on the money that was a decision that was not necessarily made by the people, all right that was made by the treasury. Mm-hmm. And you have you have all of these people getting upset. And let's let's just say that they're mostly conservative people, conservative whites upset that he's being removed. But when you look at the, the seven, the seven major bills that the uh, note banknotes that we have in America, all of them are represented by white men, you know, from our past. And, and that doesn't reflect, doesn't reflect. The, 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 the melting pot, it doesn't reflect – well, here's what it doesn't reflect. It doesn't reflect the contributions that non-whites made to get this country where it is today, what, what non-whites did for the Industrial Revolution. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, if it wasn't for slavery, we could not have competed at, uh, on any level economically with England. Even with them shipping stuff over, goods and services would have been too expensive for us to to be able to afford without slavery, without free labor. Well, let's talk
0: about slavery, and not, and not just free labor, but the, what we call today the um, intellectual property. And what is this manual labor? Okay, so we were talking about Washington D.C. The architect Benjamin Manica, and um, so many other. Um, uh, construction designs and the, the iron and the masons and all these skills that they did not have when they came to this country. You know, we're talking about a, a Europeans who could not even survive, you know, um, the children couldn't survive without the help of well, the Native Americans bringing them food. So we, we brought the food over. We taught them how to grow food how to stay alive. You know, it was intellectual property. It wasn't just uh, manual labor. And even the equipment that sustained this country was even invented by many of the enslaved blacks. So that, that, was, that is true. Uh, um, well, mm-hmm.
1: here's the thing. The, the contributions to this country by African Americans, by our slaves, are uncounted and unaccountable. Mm-hmm you know there there is no mm-hmm. there's very little oh oh well, they hear about uh what's his name George Washington Carver um you know mm-hmm. the the guy who did the cotton gin uh, you know the gin, right. I have to admit yeah I'm I'm old and I don't remember things you know in white people years I'm 187 so my mind is going okay <laughs> but, but but here here's, here's the deal um the, the achievements Okay, let me, let me just say this. After the Emancipation mm-hmm. Proclamation, blacks in this country were still not given a fair shake. You know, the, obviously the fictitious uh, 40 acres and a mule 30%. nonsense, you know, and, and when the Constitution was, was written as a concession to slave owners, slaves were only considered three-fifths of a man. I mean, there are, there are, are documented examples about how even though you know the black man and woman built this country largely. Um, they their contribution was minimalized. You know they were they they there was no validation of it. And even today, you know you you have this backlash, this conservative backlash. You know where you've got really stupid people saying that oh you know blacks have it made. You know. They've got it made. They got the, you had you had that fictitious nonsense that, that Ronald Reagan started that still can't die with the so called welfare mother driving the Cadillac. You know, because she right. was getting so much welfare she could get the big car. so in, in terms of but let me just let of, me just
0: jump in real quick, Doctor. Um sure. when you mentioned um the three fifths clause, um that's a myth yes. that has been going around for centuries and it's and it's something that has started through the white conservatives. When we talk about the three-fifths clause, it was a way of punishing the slaveholders by not giving them full credit for a non-citizen. So I tell many white men who brag that, you know, blacks weren't even considered a full human being. They were only considered three-fifths of a person. Well, they were considered three-fifths of a person by the abolitionists, because they did not want the Southerners, the slave owners, to, to get equal power or be even powered um, unequally, get more power. Because they could count uh, the enslaved people and the Indians and the poor white men who were landless own no the land. Um, these right. people and poor white women, women, white women in general, couldn't vote even. But the slavers wanted credit for them to be counted so that they would get representation in Congress. And so the abolitionist says, if they can't vote, if you're not considered citizens, then you can't count them as a citizen. So they told the slavers that your enslaved people will only be counted three-fifths of a person so that you will have a balance of power. So Frederick Douglass said that some of these bills and acts and laws that were instituted during the formation of the country were some of the most anti-slavery bills laws, and decisions that were ever made. And that's one of them. So I would like to just clear that one up, and then I'll let you continue. Um,
1: right. So, I'm
0: sorry. Go ahead. That's
1: all. No, no, no. That's you're, no, you're say. absolutely right. But, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, th- there were two. there were two, I mean, obviously – there were two reasons for that. Um, even back then, we had the, uh, the, the separated House and Senate, you know. Uh, although, no, mm-hmm. I don't think we had the Senators. The Senators were appointed back then. But in terms of representation in the House of Representatives, um, you know, this was kind of a compromise between the southern states and the northern states. And, and mm-hmm. um, you know, also, if, if in fact, you know, you mm-hmm. had a free state, and a lot of um a lot of former slaves gathered in that area, you know, in that state. You know, it was still problematic for whites to 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 grant the dignity and equality that the emancipate, you know, that which was the the basis for the emancipation proclamation. I mean, we can look back mm-hmm. you know, 1619, the first blackfoot hit the hit the shore. And and mm-hmm. ever since then, there there has been a problem in this country, a serious problem in this country, with the, the culture, the culture's lack of assimilation of black people mm-hmm. into the larger American culture. And, and you know, it, the, there, there's so much that's, that surrounds that. I don't even know where to start. I mean, if... if, okay. well, me if go on. Go on.
0: That's a different show. We'll continue that on a different <laughs> show because you, you will definitely be invited. A little bit out of time. We only have nine minutes left. And before we leave um, in this segment, I would like you to talk about um, Nixon, Fort Knox, okay. the World Trade well, Center. Uh-huh.
1: Okay. Go ahead. If you well, want, if but, you're comfortable, but, if you're but, not, but, we can skip it. No, no, that's fine. Let's start with Nixon because not only did, did Nixon um, – declare war on the intelligentsia, which meant that, you know, the, the government was, 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 was hell bent on making sure that, that the American people were as dumb as possible, because a dumb populace is an easily led populace. I don't want to talk uh-huh. about the current election, but it certainly proves that out. <laughs> so, okay, so Nixon did that, all right? And Nixon also formulated the Southern strategy, where what he did was he consolidated political power in the south by using what they call dog whistle racism and that was you know thinly veiled um I can't think of the word um thinly veiled uh sayings and phrases and 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 what have you Ooh. to to induce you know southern whites to because they started out as Dixiecrats, and then they, they reputed the Democratic Party and, and went over to the Republican Party because of dog, what they called dog whistle racism, and that was that was dividing the country along racial lines. Um, mm-hmm. And and so one of the best ways to control a populace, obviously, is to control their 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 access to information, their access to education, and certainly their access to. To good jobs and or being able to borrow you know for to get a to get a home get a car to, to live you know the way people live and so when you tilt the playing field in a way where you're you you have an entire segment of your population that cannot compete fairly what you do is you make it much much easier for the elite to get what it is they want to get now it, what what nixon started Basically, and, and there's a long convoluted road, and this, this, that's the subject for probably a college-level course. But when, yeah. when you get to the point of today, starting from, from back when Nixon was, and, and, you know, Republicans weren't that bad back then. You know, the Eisenhower Republicans were very reasonable. They didn't bother about abortion. They didn't bother about segregation. They didn't care about those things. They cared about a, set of, a, a different set of values but nowadays, you know, our entire House of Representatives and Senate because they're controlled by Republicans. The Republican Party really only works for 400 families in this country. 400 of the uh. richest families are the only concern of the Republican Party. And and what I find so so sad is that that war on the intelligentsia did not just go to, you know, Hispanics or blacks, you know, in their schools, but whites have fallen victim to it, too, because, you know, I can't, they did a study a few years ago, and they they checked, I guess what they were studying was why working class and poor whites continue to vote for the Republican Party when the Republican Party clearly for two or three generations hasn't done anything for them. They haven't done any of the things that they promised, which is why Trump is so popular. But what they found out was a lot of these poor people still voted for Republicans knowing that they advocated for the rich because they felt that the Republican Party was reserving their privilege for when they won the lottery. Now, when you think Uh. about the enormity of that that strategy, that, that that political will is for them to vote for Republicans so that when they win the lottery, they get the tax breaks and all of that.
0: I, I, mm-hmm. You know,
1: I, I'm speechless. When I think about that, I'm mm-hmm. speechless because we all know that a, a, a rising tide floats all boats. And we all know that, I mean, we saw under, under Clinton how mm-hmm. uh, Bill Clinton – how you know ramping up the economy heating up the economy so that everybody was getting jobs you know there was obviously there were some tech bubbles and things like that but we ended up with a surplus um and and so in in just the time after in, in the, the 8 years after him we completely destroyed this country's economy and and people are are not nearly as wealthy they're not making as much so when um the city comes to you and says, We're gonna raise your property taxes so that we can have more money for schools that's a fight. You know, that is a fight. Mm-hmm. That is a big, well, big, big fight. I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh,
0: doctor, oh, and I, I, yeah, I got away from I got Mallory. away from Nixon. Okay, okay. I'm sorry. The lottery. Many states are using the lottery. Oh yeah, I told
1: you yeah, I told you about what happened here in Il Yeah. In Illinois when they sold too, the lottery. Are they
0: really funding are they really funding? The schools with the lottery, that's the question.
1: Not in Illinois. All right, here's the deal mm-hmm. in Illinois. That probably sold the the lottery in Illinois. Oh, you know, all of this money is going to go to the schools. But um, And I haven't looked at it lately, but I can't see why it would have changed. But for every dollar that the Illinois lottery pumps into the Illinois Board of Education, the Illinois Board of Education has to return a dollar back to the general fund. I mean, that's that sounds like bait and switch to me. Uh-huh. You know, I'm you're sure you're is. not growing, you're not growing the the budget for schools because if if, you know, it's almost like a pass through. It's almost like it's almost like fraud. That's what it is. If you did something like that, you know, with your business and you were pumping money into your pocket like that, you would go to jail. But, you know,
0: right.
1: we have we have legalized gambling, which is also used to control local economies. But here, here in yeah. Illinois, that, that was what the law was. So everybody got on board, including, you know, they finally convinced, you know, the clergy and, and you know, the people who were against gambling, you know, for, for pretty decent reasons. And they said, no, 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 yeah. the, the money's going to go for schools. And I, I have to believe that Chicago's model is not any different than what goes on in many other states. But I, I can't say uh-huh. for sure. I just know that you're in um, in Illinois. Okay, I think
0: that's a great way to end our show. You have been great. I enjoyed talking to you for almost two hours privately, and I'm so glad you came on. And you definitely will come back on, correct?
1: I I will, yes. And and I'll sound. I don't know uh-huh. how I sound, but I, I won't have the cold, and I won't be sniffing and stuff like that. But you know, it's, you it's interesting because uh-huh. I would I. I like these kinds of topics because sometimes people just don't know. And I want to thank you very much for having me on. You've been very gracious.
0: Well, thank you, doctor. And we will be in touch as usual, and I look forward to talking to you again. Have a good
1: night. All right. Okay. Have a good night. Bye-bye.